Hello and welcome to the International Trade Resource Podcast, your go-to source for insights and information on all aspects of international trade. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a trade professional, or just curious about the global marketplace, we've got you covered. From customs regulations to export strategies, from emerging markets to international finance, we explore the latest trends and best practices that drive global commerce. Our host, Kim Kirkendall, sits down with a diverse range of experts who navigate the complex world of international trade and help you stay ahead of the game. So get ready to learn about the ins and outs of international trade on the International Trade Resource Podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the International Trade Resources Podcast. We're going to deviate a little bit today from the normal, and I am going to interview myself. Um, Not quite as awkwardly as that, but I've been on the road a lot the last few weeks, or I'm still on the road, going to be on the road for a while. And uh, I've gotten a lot of questions about the trip I took to China in July, and then the one that I just wrapped up the last two weeks. So the first two weeks of September, 2023, basically. So I thought it would be good to uh, record a podcast and answer a lot of uh, the questions that I've been getting. So I'm not going to ask and then answer myself will spare you that uh, situation, but I'm just going to go through kind of a list of some of the questions that people ask me. So first off, in terms of entry, I would think most of you have heard that in, I think, May, China uh, reopened the borders for foreigners. So if you had a existing valid visa, So if you're from a country that had five or 10-year visas, the U.S. has had 10-year visas for quite a while now, then that visa was valid again. If in the meantime, you have changed passports, you can take your new passport and the old one with the visa in it together to get into the country. Uh, If you don't have a visa, the time that it takes to get one depends on which embassy or consulate you're sending your passport to. But I understand that they've been fairly lengthy times, but it is possible. Not every type of visa is being given, but if you're going on business, you can apply under that standard, that type of visa. Getting into the country, I wrote a long post on LinkedIn uh, about getting into the country in July. It's really not much different in September you need to fill out an online uh, health questionnaire after which you'll get a code. You can do that before you get to the arrival gate. You know, once you've landed, before you get to immigration, you could do it before that. I wouldn't do it too much before that because it's timed. If you don't have WeChat, in WeChat it's easy. You uh, go to basically a mini program And if you've already done it once, it's easier to update it the second time. Uh, You also, FYI, have to do it when you leave the country. Same thing. If you've done it once, it's easier to, uh, to do it the second time. There are people standing there to help you. If you don't have WeChat, you can scan a QR code and go to a website where you fill it out and you'll, you'll still get that you know, the final QR approval that you have to show someone as you're walking through before you get to immigration. 
There's Wi-Fi in most of the airports or train stations. Um, but to be frank, you're going to need to pay whatever your normal home carrier's uh, per day roaming fee is when you're in China. I have a Chinese phone that I, I uh, started up again. You know, it's it's hard to put DD. I have DD on it. But if I put WeChat on it, WeChat's verified through my foreign phone, my U.S. phone. So I'd have to have both of them on anyways every time I switch back and forth. Same thing for I make all my airline and train reservations through C-Trip. What used to be called C-Trip is now called Trip. And that's on my home phone. Um, so I, I never ended up loading or trying to load everything on my chi- my new China phone. I can also use the China phone, however, as a hotspot so that my U.S. phone can connect to it if I don't want to pay the $10 a day roaming fees. But then on the U.S. phone, I'm connected to the Chinese mobile service with all of its restrictions. So I can't get into LinkedIn or Gmail or some other things. So for the two weeks I was there, I ended up paying the $10 almost every day. So that's your kind of entry and getting set up. In terms of safety, which is one of the biggest questions I get, I never felt unsafe in China, uh, not from from like a normal situation in that there's really no more crime than there ever used to be. I didn't feel unsafe or unwelcome by anyone that I met. Um, I did, again, on entry, both the the July trip and September trip, I was asked a lot more pointed questions by immigration. Who are you visiting? Where are you going? What kind of business are you doing? Are you here for some kind of high technology R&D? It would feel difficult to me right now to stay in China as a, as a visitor for more than a couple of weeks and not maybe be questioned on why you were there for that long. I don't know how anyone would go in and spend two weeks of that time taking a vacation. Uh, I just can't imagine it. It just, from the immigration standpoint, it doesn't seem like they're really allowing or encouraging that sort of thing yet. Again, once you're in the country, not a problem safety-wise. Uh, daily life is, is much more complicated for foreigners than it was pre-COVID. I had a lot of uh, challenges using my passport for getting into the airport, for getting into the train stations, for getting on the trains. A lot of the time it just didn't recognize my passport with my, didn't connect it to my reservation. Nine times out of 10, they just waved me through. They looked at a screenshot. I always screenshot everything just in case I don't have internet. Uh, for whatever reason, they looked at the screenshot of my reservation and let me through. Frankly, I got just as much of a hassle in Bangkok because I couldn't print all my boarding passes in advance. And so they were questioning me, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Where's your boarding pass? It doesn't have your name on it. So, you know, I got the same hassle in the Bangkok airport, both directions, but it's definitely give yourself more time. And there's a special lane when you're getting onto the train itself that is for handicapped. And so you're going to have to go through that lane because there's an officer standing there to check your passport because the kiosks are not going to work for you. At least they didn't work for me. Didn't, you know, didn't try after the first time or so. 
It's also very difficult to to pay for things if you don't have Alipay or WeChat Pay. I gave up trying to set the WeChat wallet up. It kept throwing errors at me. I did get Alipay set up, but it took me, the first time I did it in July, it took me five days. I started it a week before I, I went into China, thankfully, and it took me five days. And as much as it's a an app for foreigners, and it's supposed to be in English, a lot of the messages that you get are in Chinese. So you're going to need somebody to help you translate if you can't read Chinese. Once you have that, it does glitch. It After I used it four or five times on this September trip, it stopped glitching. It stopped asking me to like you know, re-enter or go through security again. So you always want to have cash with you and have small denomination cash because most people don't carry cash anymore. The taxi drivers, you know, the shops. So you want to have 20s, 30, 40, 50s, you know, small enough that 10s that you don't care if you don't get change. Um, I had to pay a taxi driver in cash because Alipay stopped working for me. It's also very difficult to just show up somewhere and think you're going to get a taxi because 99 times out of 100, the taxis are on DD or some other app where they're being reserved. And, you know, they're, they've take, got taken an order and they're on their way to pick somebody up. The exception to that is the train stations and the airports and the hotels. You know, there's a queue of taxis out there that you can take. Again, they're going to expect to get paid in Alipay or WeChat Pay. Um, as I said, I did it occasionally in cash because my app stopped working and they were fine when I did that. The two times I didn't get a hassle from anybody. Um, I have DD on my Chinese phone and I use that regularly and it worked fine. And you can set it up like as a foreigner account. Um, and in that it's, it is mostly in English. It was very intuitive to use. I could type in the letters of the place that I was going, whether it was in English or opinion, and it was able to recognize and pull up that as an option fairly quickly. It gave me options of three or four different kinds of cars I could take, you know, what those different prices were. One thing to note compared to like an Uber is that as soon as you confirm the ride and you're in the car, it's going to pay them when the ride's over, you don't have to go back in and rate them for it to pay them. It closes out and pays them. So, you know, so that's convenient. I was in uh, Shanghai, Nanjing, um, Xiamen, and Shenzhen this last trip for the two weeks in Hong Kong. I saw very few foreigners. Uh, a lot of the young children and are eight or nine years old don't remember seeing foreigners before. So you'll have more kids coming up to you in restaurants or train stations. You'll ha I've had more people taking photos of me again. Uh, a lot of my flights, I was either the only foreigner or there were only a couple of us. Again, doesn't make me nervous. I've been going to China, lived in China in the late 80s. You want to talk about no foreigners in the late 80s? I mean, none, maybe 500 in Beijing, like in the entire city. So it doesn't bother me. People are nice. People are friendly. It's all in your head. If you have a problem with it, it's not because, you know, anybody's being difficult in any way. So it's just a little unusual, right? And, and people give you a little bit more attention because you're the only one. As far as, 
you know, how everything is working and going, I'd say 80% of the 90% of the people I interacted with and my friends, my Chinese friends are happy. They're happy with their life. They feel things are going well. They know that unemployment's high. I did talk to people that were out of work. Um, they're concerned about the economy, but they're certainly not panicked about it in any way. They still have confidence in the real estate market, which defies, defies logic in my opinion, but they do. People feel like they, they have a job and they're going to keep having a job in general. Um, I, again, less than 10% of the people that I talk to are concerned about, you know, the future in China. I'd say a fairly small percentage are, are very concerned about, you know, their future in China. Probably no, not much more than the number of people in the U.S. who are very concerned about their future in the United States. Um, so that didn't feel, you know, different or strange to me in any way. The economy, most of the restaurants I saw are open. The shops are open. I don't know how they survived all the lockdowns. I'm sure some of them have, have been new in the last year. Definitely the establishments that cater to the foreigners, expats living in China, many of those have closed. So where you used to be able to go to Zara or H&M on Nanjing Road in Shanghai, it's closed. Um, there is one or two open. There's a few open, but nowhere near what there used to be. Definitely the foreign restaurants that cater to foreigners, Element Fresh, has closed. Um, there's fewer Wagas and Baker and Spice. Like these are some of the brands um, that that have Western style food in Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, a lot of the big cities. I still found those um, in a lot of areas. Uh, definitely not as many as there used to be. But when I'm in China, I want to eat Chinese food because um, I don't get good Chinese food in the U.S. many times. Uh, so I want the good stuff when I'm there. So that didn't bother me much. It's just kind of interesting to note. Business, I had great meetings. I did not feel in any way isolated or treated differently because I was from the U.S. or from a foreign country compared to how I would have been treated five years ago. So not, none of my business meetings or inter interactions felt any different. I definitely had some conversations with people about how China's perceived foreign in the foreign world right now and the kind of news that they're getting in China about us also. So had some interesting conversations with people about that. Note that you're the a lot of the VPNs that worked in China five years ago don't work now. So there's a few that are useful. You would have to ask, you know, more, more uh, in line with when you're going, because I don't know that what's useful now is going to be useful three months from now. A friend of mine loaded uh, a local one that she uses on my phone, very inexpensive, and it worked great. Um, and I could use that when I needed to, but it's, and again, I could eat, then once it was on my Chinese phone, I could use it as a hotspot for my U.S. phone and access some of the websites that are hard to access otherwise. So you definitely need a different VPN than you probably were using five years ago. Getting out of the country is similar to getting in. You have to do the health code again. I was not asked a lot of questions on my way out either time. 
I didn't didn't go to the ATM machines because I had had cash. I always leave the country with cash. I don't like to feel like I have to get cash the minute I land in a country I go to frequently, whether it's the EU or China or Mexico. When I leave, I always make sure I have a couple hundred dollars worth of cash on me. So the next time I come in, I'm ready. Um, so I didn't need to use the ATMs, but I would assume that they that everything still works fine. I haven't heard otherwise. The hotels, you know, the hotels are busy. Marriott, Holiday Inn, Hilton, you know, any hotel chain that, you know, Western hotel chain you're used to are busy, still get my upgrades, um, free breakfasts. Uh, a lot of the TV choices and the food choices have skewed way more local because that's who their their customer base is now. And there are so few foreigners going, which again, makes sense, right? So uh, you're not going to find a lot of foreign channels in the hotels. Um, you're not going to find as much foreign food as you will Chinese food in most of the hotels, buffets, or restaurants. Uh, again, not a problem. Hopefully you love Chinese food the way I do and you're happy to have dumplings for breakfast. So I think, you know, hopefully that answers the majority of the questions that I've been getting. Whether you feel comfortable going or not depends a lot on how comfortable you were in China before. If you felt like you could navigate, you know, get in a taxi, move your way around the city, if you've used Didi before, you know, to, to get a car, um, if you have WeChat on your phone already, then you're probably going to be fine, right? If you don't know what those things are, or you're not comfortable with them, or you haven't used them, then it could be a challenge. Uh, you may want need to have want to have a, a local person with you more often to help pay for things and arrange for cars and just handle more things for you than maybe you needed in the in the past. Again, if you're not used to doing this on your own, this is not the time to start. For me, I speak Chinese, you know, and I've like I've said, I've spent the majority of my adult life in and out of China, so I'm extremely comfortable. So for me, it's not a problem, um, but you have to judge that for yourself, right? What's what's comfortable for me may not be comfortable for you. If you have any questions after this podcast, feel free to reach out, send me a message. Uh, LinkedIn is my like my real only social media account that I monitor. Um, our email address is in the podcast information. You can email it at this email address too, if you have any specific questions. So thank you all for listening to this update. I thought this would be the most efficient way to share an, some on the ground China experience in late fall of 2023. I anticipate the status that I'm talking about will exist through at least spring of 24, maybe longer. Um, hopefully I'm wrong and they make things a bit easier for travelers, but I'm not sure we're going to see that happen too quickly. So thanks again, you guys. Uh, look forward to any future questions or interactions. Definitely stay in touch and look for our next podcast coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. That's all for this episode of the International Trade Resource Podcast. We hope you found this discussion insightful and informative. 
to find more episodes and more information on all things international trade, check out our website at www.intltraderesources.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite platform to help us spread the word. Join us next time for more exciting insights on the global marketplace. Until then, keep thinking globally.